Good morning again. Costume change. <laughs> you didn't know it was me, did you? Uh, it's good to be back with you. Um, you know, this is... <laughs> Uh, I'm like, is my mum watching? Hopefully not. Uh, this is like, normally we go to Scotland and we're there for the trip and like we get to the end of the trip and it's just like, oh, it's never long enough. We're always so disappointed that we have to leave and come back. And this time we got about halfway through the trip and we're just like, when can we leave? Uh, traveling in COVID is not fun. We had 10 days quarantined at my mum's, which is all right. I mean, you're in the house with my mum, which is where we wanted to be, but mom's really ill. Her back is in a lot of pain, so it was a lot of trying to make sure the kids didn't bump my mum, touch my mum, hurt my mum, fall over and bash her. And my mum has a dog. The kids love it, but the kids kind of love it in a not very nice way. Like, I want to, Sky, like, I want to ride the dog. This is like a, it's a little, like, Maltese, like, lasso mix, like, a Latte's, and so Sky's trying to ride it. She's trying to hug it, suffocating the dog. She's dragging it around the house, trying to get it to do it once. I was just like, my mom's like, leave the dog. And then my brother comes over with his dog, which is this big bullfighting chihuahua, and uh, and it's it's got attitude, right? And, and the dogs are fighting, and then Sky's picking up the dog, and Ella's hugging the dog and the dogs are fighting the kids are getting nipped it's just like we need to leave um, and then we got out of quarantine on a, a Sunday to the news on Monday that people arriving from the US no longer have to quarantine after 10 days we go down to England we spend some great time with friends in England we're coming back from England and my mom because of all her chemo and because of how immunocompromised she is she's like would you take a COVID test on the way back just to make sure you're okay so we're driving back a six-hour drive we get about halfway we take these at-home COVID tests Mons is negative mine is positive uh, we're like no and it's this tiny faint line, so we're like, it must be an accident. And so we're like, let's just wait a little bit. So we drive a little bit, a couple more hours, and take another one. And it's, it's also positive. And I'm like, this is not good. So I message mom, and I'm like, mom, the test's positive. And she tried really hard to be like, just come in and go up the stairs and just stay away from us. But there's only one bathroom, so... We could tell she was anxious. If you're in the house, what if I catch it? This is horrible. Uh, and so I call my dad, but my dad's just moved into a really small house. And he's like, there's nowhere you can be without being around all of us. And there's four of them that are working and doing their things so we can't isolate. We start looking for hotels, check-ins closed for most of the places we can go. The only one is like 600 bucks for the night. We're like, we're not paying 600 bucks for a hotel. So we slept in our car which was miserable. Now, if it's not enough that we emptied all the luggage out, we put the seats down in the back, we put Ella, you and the sky in the back, Monica and I lie our seats at like 45 degrees, we lie back trying to sleep, it's miserable, the kids are unhappy, anytime one of them wakes up, they start crying, everyone wakes up, we get to this one point where Ewan wakes up in this kind of whimperish cry, and then we're like, oh, he's about to full on scream, and he's like, Daddy, I feel car sick. And I'm like, buddy, we're not driving. We're just still. And he's like, yeah, but I feel car sick. It's chucking with rain. So I'm like, I'm just going to take him out into the rain. It's like three in the morning. So I pick him up and I take him out of the car and I walk two steps. <laughs> all over the sidewalk. I'm, like, I'm glad that wasn't the rental car that we're sleeping in tonight. Because uh, that would have been fun. Next day's chucking with rain, like from morning till evening. We, we don't tell Scotland we broke 
isolation rules. We went to McDonald's drive-through. I made Monica drive so that I was as far away from the window because I was I don't know how else to get food. So we go get food. We book COVID tests. We go get our proper tests that you've got to get. We uh, what else happens? We go back to the house. My mom has this like kind of gazebo canopy tent in the backyard, so we have to spend the day there chucking with rain. I send Monica to the car to take a nap while I am trying to rally the kids. They're going, can we go in and see Grant? No, we can't go. Can we play with the dog? No, we can't go in the dog. Can we go to the park? No, we've got to stay here. There's nothing we can do. Uh, so we're online. We find an apartment we can rent for a couple of nights. We rent the apartment. We drive over there. We get to the apartment. Uh, we, we go to bed. It's great. We've got space. Monica goes, gets groceries, which we still shouldn't have done. Um, but there was no other option. Uh, and, so she, and I'm like, I feel fine. I don't have any symptoms. I'm fine. I don't have COVID. Uh, and, and so we sleep that night. I wake up at five in the morning. I check my phone and it's the, the, the results of my test to say you don't have COVID. We don't know why you got three positive COVID tests, but you do not have COVID. Now, at this point, we've only got five days left in our trip. So if it's COVID, we've now got to isolate for 10 days which means we've got to move our flights. We've got to find a hotel to stay in because we can't stay with family. We've got to find work cover for Monica. We've got to find someone to preach, someone to lead worship. And I'm like, this is going to be a nightmare. And then they call and they're like, just so you know how it works, if you've got COVID, uh, this is day one. So day 10 will be the 14th. But since you're asymptomatic, if you start exhibiting symptoms, that becomes day one and the counter resets. All of your family has to isolate with you. Every time someone else in your family has symptoms, the clock goes back to one. And I was like, so we could be stuck here for three weeks. This is going to be like thousands of dollars. So it was negative, which is great. So five days left is now three days left on our trip. So we don't have time to see the people that we wanted to see. I hadn't really seen my brothers. So we're like, let's go see my brothers. We're going to try and see some friends. Let's try and do some shopping. No, there's no time for shopping. I had some people that I hadn't met yet that I'm in these calls with like multiple times a week. I was going to go meet them for the first time. Couldn't make it to that. But anyway, so this one day we're in this rental car. This this is a fun story, right? So we're in this rental car. It's a diesel car. And I've never seen this. Maybe they do it here, but in the UK, um, Newer diesel cars have this other little nozzle that says add blue on it. And it's this other liquid that you put in the car that helps reduce the emissions from your diesel engine. So we have this really fancy car with like the whole computerized light up dashboard. And as we're driving from day one, as we're driving the car, it's like 500 miles. If you don't top up your add blue, the engine won't start. And then it's like 450 miles. If you don't top up your add blue, the, the ignition won't start. So, so <laughs> we get to this point the night before we get the, the COVID test, it's like 100 miles and, and your test won't start. We arrive at my mom's and it's like 50 miles. No, we arrive at the apartment, 50 miles and your engine won't start. And we're like, how do we get add blue? Where do we find this? We need to go find this stuff. So we're gonna drive. <laughs> we're gonna drive to see my dad on the way. We'll stop and we'll get Ad Blue. So we get ten liters, which is what a couple of gallons of Ad Blue. We put it in the tank, and we go driving, and the alert doesn't disappear. And it's like, uh, okay. Now we've got to go get COVID tests at the airport to be allowed back in the country. So five of us need COVID tests, 550 pounds for the, uh, dollars for that privilege to get COVID tests to be allowed back in the country. So we're on the way to the airport. We get the ad blue, nothing changes. The rental company is right next to the airport. So we drive by the rental company. We're like, this is convenient. Hey, this warning's up. Yeah, it does that. You just need to put ad blue in it. We're like, we put ad blue in the car. They're like, great. So uh, you just need to top it all the way up. It takes 17 liters, not 10. So they go away, they get ad 
bad blue. They bring it back, they fill it up, the, the, the alert doesn't go off, and he's like, it'll go off in a couple of miles. So we drive to meet some friends, and right as we pull into the parking garage, it pops up, if you stop the car, it will not start. <laughs> so I'm like, what? So I drop Monica and the kids, I grab my buddy, we drive in the car, we go back to the rental company, we're like, we need a different car, so fortunately they have one, they give us a different car, uh, and then we're... <laughs> Uh, they give us a different car and then like I get to the place where we're going to eat and the receipt pops up that they're charging me $120 for changing my car including a $650 refilling fee because it wasn't fully full when I had to give it back to them. So all that to say it was a really fun trip. We're glad we went. Uh, life is good. Uh, but yeah, like 10 days or less, like a weekend, we're like, okay, we're done. Time to go back. So we're glad to be back. Uh, one, <laughs> we made it one of my pastor friends down in southeast portland messes like like just praying it's been such a restful trip how can i pray for you i was like it was not restful pray for rest uh, so so we're recovering and um, but it's good to be back it was good to see my mom it was good to see my dad um, but it was frustrating but we survived <laughs> and so with that you know thank you samuel thank you jessica um and I've already said thanks to, to other people. Thanks to everyone that helped while we were gone to keep things running and to make sure you were able to encounter Jesus in a powerful way. So um, let's, let's move on to what we're supposed to be talking about, right? <laughs> we're, we're in this series called Sent. We're almost at the end. So this is chapter 27 of Acts. There's only 28 chapters. So next week is the end of our series. And this has been a whole series looking at the book of Acts to try and remember and remind ourselves the whole purpose of the church. What is the vision of the church? What is its mission? And trying to remind ourselves that we are sent people. Like our primary identity outside of being Christ's people is that we're people who are sent into the world to bear him to the people around about us. So we've been on, on this journey um, all the way from the beginning. I'm not going to recap all of the story, but the last couple of weeks, we're in this end part where Paul has his eyes fixed on Rome. He, he knows he's supposed to go there. Um, he's going to preach the gospel there, but his eyes are fixed. And then all of these things are coming. He's been in, uh, taken into custody. We've seen him given a defense before the Sanhedrin. He's given an offense bef a, a defense before uh, Herod and before Agrippa. And right at the end of the last chapter was like their conclusion that if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have been let go. This guy's innocent. Uh, there's nothing that he can be found guilty of. So we would have let him go if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, but he's appealed to Caesar, and to, so to Caesar he would go. So these last two chapters are his journey uh, from Caesarea to Rome uh, to, to accomplish what it is that God's put uh, and in, in his heart um, and what is in God's, God's plan. So as it was for Monica and I visiting home, uh, for Paul, this is not smooth sailing. Uh, this, this trip doesn't go uh, the way you would envision it. God has told him, to Rome you're going to go. So you would expect him just to go straight to Rome. So let's pick up in Acts 27 and see what happens. Um, and, and one little thing I want you to know just before I read it is within Acts, this chapter contains the most technical Greek language of anything uh, that, that Luke has written, but uh, arguably of anything in the New Testament, because this passage in Greek is riddled with like technical sailing language. 
So this whole book is, is, uh, is being written to prove that Jesus had did everything that he said he did. And, and he's trying to give the evidence. So in this part of, of the story of Paul, he's given all of this technical evidence that this is really what happened. So, so let me read it. I've got all the place names in red, and there are maps on your table if you want to track where we're going. The green line uh, on the map is, is this journey. So, when it was decided that we would sail for Rome, looks back, joining Paul at this point. Sorry, when, we, when it was decided we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, just remember he'd had this Macedonian call. He'd gone over to Macedonia because God had called him to preach the gospel here. Now, as he's heading to Rome, one of those Macedonians is actually accompanying him, um, the fruit of that earlier vision he had. Um, So Aristarchus was with us. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we'd sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Uh, much time had been lost and, uh, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was even after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Just to pause there, notice it doesn't say, which it normally does with Paul, God said to me, So this is Paul potentially operating in his own wisdom and experience. It could be a supernatural moment of wisdom that God grants him. But I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, we know in the story that that's not a great idea, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Few commentators say, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, actually it's because the city or the little town there is a tiny town that's super lame and they want to get to a big, a big city where they can engage in all sorts of debauchery. So they don't want to be stuck uh, in the tent in your mom's back garden for a day in the pouring rain. So since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Uh, this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboard secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. It's usually trailing behind the boat. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to try and hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and then let the ship be driven along. 
We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Notice Paul's prophecy. If you do this, we're going to lose our property, our, 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 the ship's going to be destroyed, and you're going to lose lives too. So all of a sudden, this is starting to come true. Um, they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard, which is part of how they steer the ship. And they did it with their own hands. Um, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. So remember, they're in the middle of the sea. Uh, and they're navigating. This is, they don't have a GPS. They're navigating by the stars. <laughs> and so here, the, there's been no stars for many days um, because of the storm. So they have no idea where they're going, and they finally gave up all hope of being saved. But what we know, with a line like that, we gave up all hope of being, of being saved. We know that that is the space where God works best, right? He likes us in that situation where you feel that there's no hope of salvation because he can swoop in uh, and show his power at its fullest. Uh, verse 21, after they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, man, you should have taken my advice. That's not what he says. He says, told you so. <laughs> man, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now remember his prophecy? You're going to lose the ship, you're going to lose your belongings, and you're going to lose life. Change of tone. I urge you to keep up your courage. Not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Because last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Why do you think God would say that? Why would God graciously grant him the lives of the sailors? Most likely because Paul has spent this whole time interceding for the lives of the people on board. We tend to be there going, save me. Paul's like, save me and everybody else. Like, this is a chance for them to see your power. So he's obviously spent these days interceding. So don't be afraid. You will stand trial before Caesar, and I'm graciously giving you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. This wording is actually stronger. It literally says, uh, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God. Like, not faith in God, but I, I, I believe God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So these are the experienced sailors trying to jump ship. And Paul understands if these guys go, they're going to be lost and we're going to be lost. The only way this is going to work is if we're here working together. So the soldiers cut the rope that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. 
After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, and broke it and began to eat. In the middle of the storm, when it looks like everything is lost, he leads them in communion. Get that? It's amazing. They were all encouraged. They ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping because it was a death sentence for them if their prisoners got away. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, the ad blue light came on. No, sorry. As he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he's escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. How often does that sound like us? Oh, that happened to him. He, he obviously deserved it. Like, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> oh, you're a murderer. No, you're a god, and we're going to worship you. How fickle we are as human beings. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the, the chief official of the land. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. I want to leave this up for a second. I just want to put us back in context. Remember what's been going on through Luke's gospel and into Acts. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. The story that we've been reading. Paul goes into these places and he ministers to the Jews and they reject him. Cities are stirred up. Angry mobs are trying to kill him. They're Brit. The last couple of chapters that we looked at, the Sanhedrin are making plots, like send them back to Jerusalem and we're going to secretly ambush them and kill them along the way. So the Jewish people, every step along the way, are beating them, criticizing them, hounding them, trying to kill them. Look at what this says about the Gentiles. They show them an unusual kindness. All the people of the island come to them and are cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we need. You see the indictment that is to the Jewish people rejecting them when these heathen Maltese people that are looking at them as a god uh, are willing to offer them grace and kindness. It's, it's just a crazy contrast. So we're going to fly through a few points here. I want to just draw attention. Why, why did I break this 
partway through chapter 28, because this is another one of these stories that has an inclusio, so like bookends that say the same thing that let us know that this story goes together. So Acts 27, verse 3, if you noticed it, it said, the next day we landed at Sinon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. So this moment of kind generosity and provision. Then at the end of the story, and and, and end of or in 28, um, this chief official welcomed them to his home, showed his generous hospitality, and when we we're ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. So these moments of gracious provision, bookending this story of calamity, hinting that God is in control, that his generosity is at work, and you're going to see it through all of these things that are going on. And it's a good reminder to us that in the midst of the calamity that we're facing, uh, the storms that we're enduring, we need to remind ourselves that the things that we face are normal and that there is hope, that we have these bookend moments, these inclusios in our life where we've seen God at work, where we've seen his gracious provision, where we've seen his interruption, where we've received his revelation. And then you have these moments of calamity and storm where it feels like life has fallen apart. And it's these moments of truth that we've seen that remind us in the midst of these storms to keep going, to persevere, and to have hope. So I want to look at a few statements um, coming out of this passage. Just as a reminder, this is going to feel depressing to start with, but I promise you it's not. So the first thing from this, this story, you know, there will be storms. Like I shared the story from Scotland in full because it was a storm. It was not what we envisioned in trying to go back and honor and love our family and see our friends and get some rest. It was not what we anticipated. I love the, the language in the passage. We took such a violent battering. This is not just like a mediocre storm that's uncomfortable. This is a violent battering. How many people in here have felt like you've endured a violent battering in your life? Okay, there's like four of us, <laughs> right? You know, we, we know what it's like. I'm going to keep saying this. Contextualize this to where we're at right now. We live in the middle of storms. We've just come through a crazy season. Elections, wildfires, ice storms, protests, gang violence. Uh, and then within our church, COVID, there's health issues, there's brain surgery issues, there's, there's uh, incurable cancers, like there are storms that we're facing. Um, the other thing, as, as we're in pre-service prayer, our heart was heavy for the world. There's a lot of stuff in the news right now that's going on out there. And sometimes, you know, whatever country you live in becomes the lens that you see the world through and you think your country is the center of the world. So when we live in the UK, it's the center of the world. When, we live, when we're in India, it's the center of the world. In the US, we think this is the center of the world and this is what we judge the rest of the world by, but it's not. The US is not the center of the world. And there are calamities and storms happening all over the place that, that it's easy to forget about when it's not affecting us. So you have the Taliban in Afghanistan. You have the earthquake that just happened in Haiti. You've got uh, landslides and... Uh, yeah, in, in India, you've got fires in Australia. There was just a mass shooting in England, um, which is really unusual for over there. There are storms around us, and it's easy to be in the middle of it going, there's no hope. We've lost all hope, but we know the story. So one of the things we need to do in our faith is, is remind ourselves, remind each other, and in sharing the gospel, help people to understand storms are a natural part of life. There will be storms, but that's not all there is to this story. Number two, there will be rejection. 
Like this is the Apostle Paul. He's like, hey, I've had some experience in this. Actually in 2 Corinthians 11, is it 15? It's 11.5 or 11.25, I think it is. Um, where he's like, you know, I've been shipwrecked three times. I've been beaten. I've been rejected or whatever. Like this is not Paul's first shipwreck. So he knows the signs. He knows how it goes when he's following God's will. Uh, it ends in a shipwreck. Uh, so he knows. But, so he's experienced this. He knows the signs. And, and I'm sure in here there's some moment of divine revelation letting him know this is another of those moments. The centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, and why should he? Like, why should the centurion ignore the advice of the sailors to listen to Paul who's going to Rome to be on trial? Instead of listening to what Paul said, he followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of a ship. Who would ever trust a pilot? <laughs> Pilots are great. We love you, Josh. Uh, you just happen to be right there. Uh, there will be rejection. You know, we, we know it in sharing the gospel. Like, we're going to go out there and share the gospel, and people are going to reject it. Um, if we fear rejection, we're not going to share the gospel. But if we know it's a natural part of what it means to follow Jesus, then we do it knowing that God will take that rejection and use it for good. Because what happens in this story? They reject his advice. They don't stay in winter where they are. They go on this journey. They get shipwrecked. And Malta comes to faith because of the shipwreck. So like their rejection actually led to something being able to happen that was part of God's will. We will be rejected. You'll be rejected in your parenting. Hey, I think this is what you should do. And if you do X, Y, or Z, it's not going to go very well. And then you can fight with your kids and try and force them to do it your way. Or you can just sit back and say, I've given you my advice. I'll try and help you. You watch it fall apart. You come alongside to love them. And you do what Paul did. You don't go, told you so. Right? What, what were, I'm, I'm trying to think what Paul's exact words were. Words um, as I told you so, Matthew. He has such a, he has such a nice wording in this. Ah, I had it marked. He says, "Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have been spared yourself this loss and damage. But now I urge you, keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. He doesn't go, I told you so. It's like, if you'd taken my advice, you could have saved yourself this loss. Let me sit with you in the loss and the pain. Take heart. Like, this isn't all there is, and we're here for you and with you. You will experience rejection. There will be rejection from friends, from family, uh, from neighbors. But take hope, because it doesn't have to be the end of the story. Number three, there will be loss. We took such a violent batter, and we began to throw the cargo overboard. We threw the ship's tackle overboard. Later on, they throw all the grain overboard. There will be loss, loss of lives, loss of property, loss of dreams. Like, there's this false belief that you come into your faith, and all of a sudden, everything's going to be blessed and happy. Uh, And a false belief that when we're out there in the world, we have to present that everything is going to be blessed and happy. And hey, you're dealing with anxiety and depression. Come to faith in Jesus. It's all going to go away. Come to faith in Jesus. You might still have your anxiety and depression, but you'll have a hope that you never had. And you have a hope that it could be taken away. And there's a peace that transcends understanding that will meet you in the middle of it. And we'll give you a community to walk with you in the middle of it. Um, one message says, come into the church, and when you don't get healed, walk away and reject God because he didn't do what people said. The other says, I find hope and peace and relationship in the middle of it. Um, number four, there will be despair. 
When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Have you had that moment where you've given up all hope? You're looking at your job situation going, will I ever find a job that satisfies? You're looking at your family situation going, will there ever be reconciliation? You, I mean, you've been here, some of you have expressed it to me with this church at points, like, will we ever be able to get through this season? Will the building ever get finished? Will our church ever grow? Will there ever be young people here again? And you give up all hope. Um, this was heavy in pre-service prayer as, as we were interceding for the service. Not, not that we were feeling hopeless. We were feeling the burden and the weight of all of the issues out there in the world and all of the division in our country and raising the question, like, how does it get resolved? Will it ever be resolved? Will there ever be unity? Um, will there ever be revival? Um, but it's in those moments of, of hopelessness that we are right, ready for God to move in and intervene. So what were Paul's words? He says, take courage. There will be storms, there will be rejection, there will be loss, there will be despair. Take courage. What do the verses say? I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. The ship will. Keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we're going to run aground. It wasn't like expect a happy ending. Everything's going to turn up wrapped up in a bow. You're going to get home to see your mom. You're not going to have COVID. You're going to have a car to drive, and you're going to make it back safely. But you're going to spend the night in your car. You're going to have to change your car at some point. They're going to charge you a ridiculous amount of money for the privilege of it all. But take heart. Take heart in the middle of it. There is hope. Here's his words in full. In, in 27, you know, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. So you've all got things in your life that you're hoping for and dreaming for. Uh, not all of it will be lost. Parts of it will. Um, last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar. You're not going to die. There's going to be a shipwreck. And at the end of it, you <laughs> you've got a, a trial and the loss of your life, right? <laughs> uh, so this is the hope that you have. You're going to be on trial. Um, don't be afraid, though. I've promised you that this is going to happen. Don't be afraid. You will stand trial. And God has graciously given you the lives of all of these people that you've been crying out to him for. Keep up your courage, for I have faith in God. I believe him that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we'll run aground on some island. Do you believe that the things God has said will come true? Do you believe the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few? Do you believe that God wants not a single person to perish? Do you believe that God says, pray for the prosperity of the city and I'll bless it, and I'll bless you in the middle of it? Do you believe when God says, before the creation of the world, I chose you, and I've prepared good works for you to do in advance. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God has says, if you go uh, to make disciples of all nations, I will be with you always? Do you believe that his spirit is in you and can overcome any obstacle that you face in order to be fruitful? Do you believe it? Take heart. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he's told us. Nevertheless, there's going to be some road bumps along the way. So point number five, there will be victory 
How does this story end? Everyone reached land safely. Once safely on shore, we found that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us an unusual kindness. What an end to the story. All of this turmoil, are we going to die? They lost all of their stuff, and yet here this tiny little island furnished them with all that they need uh, to be able to move, move on, and that's the way God works. There will be victory. It doesn't always look the way we want, uh, we don't always get abundance that we're hoping for, but he'll give us what we need. He'll give us everything we'll need, and, and he will use all of the situations and redeem it for his glory. Scotland becomes redeemed as a really good sermon illustration, right? <laughs> uh, but, but, but what is the story? Like the people on board are encountering God. An entire island worth of people are encountering the truth of God, uh, experiencing healing and wholeness. All of this happens uh, all the way through. Paul's spiritual authority has been elevated. Don't go there, you're going to lose the ship. Who the heck are you? Uh, oh, look, it happened. Hey, we want to listen to everything you said. Did you notice that Paul, the prisoner, all of a sudden is like captain in the ship. Hey, you guys do this. You guys do that. Grab that. Don't go there. Don't do this. Throw everything off. No, 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 no. Don't escape. We need you. Like all of a sudden this guy whose advice they're rejecting through this experience of believing in God and trusting him in the middle of all the calamity, the people around about notice. And all of a sudden he's in a position of leadership and they're hanging on his every word. There will be victory in the storms, in the loss, in the despair, and in the rejection. God is setting up victory that will make you a more effective agent as you're sent into the world to do his will. Let me pray. God, you are unbelievably good and unbelievably kind toward us. Uh, thank you for the hope of of Scripture. Thank you for the hope that this is not all there is, that we can face these storms and endure all the difficulty, and you take it and you redeem it. Um, so, God, as we look at the world round about, as we look at all the circumstances that can so easily discourage us, um, we need you to do what you did for Paul. We need that moment of wisdom and revelation. We need angelic visitation. Uh, and, and we need you reminding us of the truths that you've spoken, the things that you've shared that give us hope. So God, help us not to be people who run from the pain, uh, not people who live in the world avoiding the hope, and not people who sit in the hope going uh, in the storms going, woe me. But there would be people that persevere through the storms with their eyes fixed on you, uh, trusting that you're going to use this and redeem it for your glory. God, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen.